I'm always ready to call. Checkmate. Shall a trumpet be blown in the city and the people not be afraid? Shall there be evil in the city and the Lord have not done it? Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants, the prophets. Amos 3, verses 6 through 7. So, I heard the news concerning Bill Gates being questioned as to why he was buying up so much U.S. farmland. Many news outlets have been hinting at he may be doing it for some diabolical or nefarious purpose. Another attempt to raise concern and fear, no doubt. But Gates' reply was that the farmland he was buying was just part of his vast portfolio of things that he has invested in with his massive amount of wealth. And he said that is what one does. And land is a commodity just like anything else you'll find in his investment portfolio. So, in essence, there was nothing to be concerned about. However, I must say, considering the wickedness that is out here in this world today, and everyone's ravenous thirst for power, it has made me wonder myself. So, knowing that I had this concern in my heart, God wanted to alleviate any fears that may have been trying to rise up in me and his people concerning this. And God gave me these things to share because sometimes God wants something to be said by one of his prophets before he touches down on a thing as outlined in our anchor verses, Amos 3 verses 6 and 7. So the devil always wants you to feel fear, right? That's one of the ways he's able to gain power and control over you. This is why Jesus admonishes us to, in Ephesians 6, 11 through 13, put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. So, why is Bill Gates buying up all this land? It can't be for anything good, right? Says the devil. He wants to get you in your flesh again to fear man and get your eyes off of God. So I'm like, okay, so I know God's got it, whatever it is, whatever it is, if he's doing it for something against God's people, he's going to pay for it. That was my holler back to the devil. But here's what the Lord said to me. He said, remember the parable about the certain rich man that was storing up all these things and said to himself, I need more room and wonder where would he store all of his fruits? So he said, I will pull down the property that I have and build back greater. And this is where I will store my fruits and goods. And when he was done, he said that with all that he has amassed over the years, it was now well with his soul. And now he can eat, drink and be merry. It was then God spoke to him and said, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So what is God saying? God is saying that men such as Bill Gates, if they're doing it with nefarious purposes in mind, like he said to me once, if they're doing what you think they are doing, always remember the rich fool. He never gave God any consideration. 
He never thanked God. He never had anything God-like in his heart. And all he cared about was storing up riches for himself. So God waited right good, as we say, until he had fed and had done all he was big enough to do and still gave God no consideration. God said, now that you've gotten all your riches stored up, now you've made this thing your idol, now I shall take your life. Now, what is all that fruit and goods going to do for you? It's funny how we're talking about gates and farmland and this parable talks about this man storing up fruits and goods. It's just God making it plain that the Bible is real and true. In James 1.15, it reads, Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is full grown, bringeth forth death. In Revelations 18.5, we find, For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. So while he and all these other rich men and women are out here amassing all this wealth for themselves and ignoring and disavowing God for whatever purpose, here's what God has to say about this. If the purpose is not a God purpose, I'd be very careful because at the moment that you've reached the height of your sin, you could be taken up out of here. And when you go, I ask the question, where are you going? So the Lord says, you need not fear what Gates is thinking about doing, what he's planning to do, because when he comes up against his children, it's like the persistent widow woman, when the judge neither regarded God nor man, but God made that man to bless the widow. Likewise, God says, if I want to, he said, I'll make Bill Gates turn all of that farmland over to my children. Amen then that land could be used to feed my children. So he said, fear not. Again, keep your eyes on God and not on man, because you don't know what I am up to. He said, what may be looking like chess moves by the devil? God says he is always ready to call. Checkmate. Checkmate. <laughs> so when God said that, I had to go and see what the definition was. I know checkmate means like that's the ultimate block in the game of chess. But I wanted to get more information to gain more clarity or insight into this thing God had just said. So in researching the definition of the word checkmate, here's what I found. Checkmate is a move from which a king cannot escape. Checkmate means to block completely, to thwart. To check a chess opponent's king so that the escape is impossible. It went on to read, the ingredients are simple for checkmate. A king, usually in the corner of the board, which is completely entombed by his own pieces, meaning he thinks he's covered by his wealth, his riches, his power. He has put up his gates around him, Bill Gates. But he is attacked by a knight, which could jump over the defenders to threaten the king because the king is blocked in and has nowhere to run. The result is checkmate. In other words, all the things that he, in this example, the rich fool, has accumulated around him, meaning his vast wealth and all his land, his goods and all his commodities, has become the very thing that weighs him down and is what the knight uses against him. So the rich fool has signed his own death warrant. 
Checkmate, also known as mates, occurs when a king is placed in check and has no legal moves to escape. When a checkmate happens, the game ends immediately, and the player who delivered checkmate, in this case God, wins. As I was composing the script for this very episode of Supping with Jesus, the Lord said to me, there was another such time when God checkmated the devil. He said, do you remember when that was? Do you guys remember? Well, for those of us who need a reminder, let's go to Mark 15, 26 through 39. And it was the third hour and they crucified him. And the subscription of his accusation was written over the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two thieves, the one on his right hand and the other on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, And he was numbered with the transgressors, and they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. Likewise, all the chief priests mocking said among themselves with the scribes, He saved others, himself he cannot save. Let Christ, the King of Israel, descend down from the cross that we may see and believe. And they that were crucified with him reviled him. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama shabbatani, which is being interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them that stood by when they heard it said, behold, he calleth Eliza. And one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave it him to drink saying let alone let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down and Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost and the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom and when the centurion which stood over against him saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost he said truly this man was the son of God you can just imagine how the powers of darkness must have cheered that moment. They had gone and killed the Son of God. I'm sure the devil must have said to himself, hmm, I guess Jesus should have taken me up on my offer. I was ready to give him everything and all he had to do was to bow to me and he wouldn't have had to suffer the cross. But then, if only the story ended there, but we should all know what happens next. Let's pick it up at Luke 24, 13 through 26 and 44 through 48. Here we are taken along on a journey with two men as they walk to a nearby village. Along the way, they meet a stranger who joins in on their conversation concerning the events surrounding the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about threescore furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holding that they should not know him. And he said unto them, 
manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad. And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and, the, and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulchre. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which says that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulchre and found it even so as the women had said. But him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Jump into verse 44 and it says, And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you, while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses, and in the prophets, and in the Psalms, concerning me. Then opened he their understanding, that they might understand the scriptures, and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer, and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. In other words, checkmate. So as we end this episode of Supping with Jesus, I'll leave you with this. One day I was struggling because like those men Jesus met on the road, I had my mind on the craziness around me and had taken my eyes off of what was said of the risen Christ. And on that day, just like he did with these men, Jesus reminded me of this one thing. And we find it in John 16, verse 33. And it reads, Jesus said, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. And the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world.